Hey folks, before we start, just a quick heads up that Biz's audio got intercepted by an alien probe and the episode was almost lost. Fortunately, with the capable help of Steph Colburn from Edit Audio, we were able to hack the probe and piece back together the audio. However, you will hear occasional ghostly echoes and dropouts. Apologies in advance, but there are true gems in the episode, so I promise it's worth it. And now, on to the show. This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to get ready for the new Dune movie, or just talk about great movies if you don't care about Dune. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Jason. I got my kidney back, doctor gave me a pill, I got my kidney back. <laughs> and by the co-founder of Twitter, Biz Stone. When I watch movies, I'm like, it's a motion picture. I like motion pictures. On this episode, we jump straight into the belly of the whale with Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. We go deep on our love for Star Trek, sorry, not sorry, and cover the deep ecological themes of the film, including the excesses of the boomers. If you're enjoying the show, check out our Discord server, where you can sign up now to join us at the Dune Pod IMAX private screening of Dune on opening night in San Francisco. A link is in the show notes. And now... Without further ado, Star Trek Four. Well, so Biz, let me just ask. Usually, when people want to know details about a bachelor party, it doesn't usually start with a visit to the Star Trek experience <laughs> in Vegas. So, can you just give us the highlights of that? All right. Whoa, I gotta remember. But um, yeah. Well, Golden and I were. At- it was, it must have been Evans it was, it was Party. Evans. Yeah, we were at Evans, Evans Bachelor yeah. Party, and we were like, "Oh, look at this! There's a Star Trek thing going on at the uh, where, wherever we were." The Hilton. It's the. It used to be at what? the Hilton. Though. Yeah, <laughs> it's closed. It's gone forever. I think we like went pretty far away from where we were supposed to go. We, it's like a forty-minute <laughs> cab ride. Yeah. So we just we really made a thing of it. We went there. the The biggest highlight, though. Um, well, there was two highlights that I remember from the Star Trek experience. I, I kind of forget everything else, but <laughs> one was we went to the bar, which was called something like Quark's Bar. Quark's Bar, oh. right? It was Quark's Bar, and oh, cool! Yeah, it totally freaked us out because there were Klingon waitresses, <laughs> and everything mm. was like weirdly Klingon, <laughs> even though was, we ordered Sprite, but it was called some freaky thing. <laughs> it was there was one called like the Warp Core Breach. Yeah, that was one of the drinks. Oh my god, was, you like, remember that? Dry eyes. Yeah, it, it was a big event for me. They were like mean and creepy and all dressed up in the stuff, and uh-huh. it felt so awkward that we were there. We like. We left as soon as we could, but then we went to the gift shop. Right. Yeah. And this haunts Goldman to this day because to this day we were checking out some stuff and there was like this really cool, like Admiral's jacket or something. Ooh. And Goldman put it on and he looked good. Yeah. <laughs> which, wait, which, which circa, like, which, like, uh, next generation or it was, it was a Star Trek motion picture one. Like it was yeah. like white and like kind of puffy. Okay. And it had like uh, the, like puffy rolls on the shoulders. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was like a movie prop. It was a legit prop. Oh. Yeah. It fit Goldman perfectly. And as soon as he put it on, he yeah. looked like an important Star Trek guy. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> dude, you should get that thing. You look. It actually looks really good. 
And he was like, oh, my God, it does. And we both agreed wholeheartedly <laughs> that he looked handsome and important in the jacket. Nice. And then he was like, let me think about it. And then he was like, you know what? Like, when am I going to wear like a Star Trek? <laughs> it was $400 also. Like that, that. For a prop, that's a good price. Well, we were broke. Like we didn't. Okay. Yeah, we didn't have any money. We weren't, we weren't rolling on the $400 jacket wagon. We were we were we're hoping Ev would get drunk enough to give us cash that we could use for stuff, <laughs> which which occasionally happened, which did happen. Um, but yeah, but like we talked about it for years afterward, where Goldman would be like, just he would just be bringing it up in in a meeting, like the jacket. Oh, Stone, I should have got that Star Trek jacket. Damn it. Yep. What do you get from the Dune? Like, uh, what's what's going to be your Dune uh, gift shop experience, Jason? I mean, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna buy a whole ornithopter and just park it in my backyard. There you and go. Like, uh, I want one of those suits where you can just pee in it and like you're fine. And yeah. you can- <laughs> those things, like, plus they give you pretend abs and everything. I like. I'm hoping for one of those. Oh yeah, yeah. Good for road trips. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, Biz, welcome to the pod. We are super happy to have you here. Thank you, Matt. I'm honored to be here. Yeah. Well, so I I was kind of surprised. We we've been doing like all of the most amazing movies in science fiction history recently, especially with Alien and Blade Runner. And then I was like, Jason, we're doing this. And he's like, Biz is gonna do Star Trek Four. And I was like, What? <laughs> what? Why? Uh, but he assured me this was your this was your wheelhouse. I mean, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Like just the whole Roddenberry universe. Also the next generation big time i mean original star trek but like star trek the next generation informed how i should be as a human so my daughter is named after a next generation episode is it attached is what <laughs> there's an episode called <laughs> attached which would be a oh weird no no name. her name no <laughs> her name is cayman from the inner light episode uh is that the uh, one wait is that the one where he that's the word that's with the flute that's one with the flute I love that one where he learns the flute. Yeah, that's the best. That is the best Star Trek of any generation ever, ever. That's an amazing one. My my other favorite one is Attached, but like the fact that he got to live a whole extra life is amazing. I want that. And the meat, the the significance of it was very imp- important as well, right? The life not taken. That's true. The message was very Roddenberry esque. Yeah. My daughter's name is There Are Four Lights, Goldman. So that's like you know, <laughs> also an homage. There. Are- Four <laughs> uh, I also, my first wedding, uh, processed to the inner light theme uh, with piano and wow. 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 Strong. Wow. Strong. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty, my, my bona fides are, are pretty good on, uh, uh, on Star Trek. But so we're really happy to have you here. And in the bottom of the hour, we will be talking about Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, the most kind of accessible and mainstream of all the Star Trek films yeah. um, from 1986. So we will get into that. Before we do, let's just do some business real quick. Mm-hmm. So next week on Dune Pod, so David Lynch famously did a classic version of Dune from 1984, P- love it or hate it. Um, it is an important uh, piece of science fiction history. And we have been doing a number of other Lynch films. We did uh, Blue Velvet. And we did Lost Highway. And next week, we're doing a film I have never seen that some people will say is his best film, 
which is Mulholland Drive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So joining us to talk about Mulholland Drive, we have Mackenzie Wilkes, oh, right. who is the producer and host of On Lynch, the podcast. And I watched Eraserhead so that I could listen to her first episode. And that is a wild ass movie. You ever seen that, Biz? Eraserhead? Yeah, but like when it came out. So I, I just remember the hair. 77? Wow. No, I didn't see it when it came out. You Sorry. I, I did see it, but I don't remember. Much. He looks very youthful. It's a very wild, uh, yeah, it is, it is quite a wild movie. I was alive in 77. Okay, that's good. That's a start. Yeah. Well, uh, so we're very excited to have Mackenzie joining us next week. So folks should definitely check out her podcast, and people should also check out Mulholland Drive between now and then. If anybody in the Discord can let us know where that is streaming, that would be great. Uh, letterboxed, we'll tell you that. You guys don't have to, you guys don't have to do what Matt says. You do not. You no, it's just fame and glory if you do. Yeah. All right, well, shall we get into some Dune news? Would you like to know more? Dune news. All right, here we go. So first of all, Denny thinking trilogy. <laughs> so we had a, a great quote from Denny. He said, okay, I'm not going to do the accent. <laughs> There's Dune's second book, The Messiah of Dune, which could make an extraordinary film, Villeneuve teased, sharing his ambitions for, Dune, for the Dune franchise beyond the first movie, which is due out in October. I always saw that there could be a trilogy. After that, we'll see. It's years of work. I can't think of going further than that. So the importance to me of this news was the fact that it means that he isn't thinking of just collapsing Messiah into Dune Part 2. Yeah, he's he's really on one out there in these press interviews, man. Like, he's just saying all kinds of shit. Like, it's going to be a trilogy. Like, don't watch it on your phone. Fuck Warner Brothers. Like, he's really feeling it he's on that that primo spice but i'm sure his whole deal is that if if this first one isn't hit he did nothing else happens right no they don't green light two until one succeeds right if this first one's not a hit he is directing toyota commercials in quebec yeah like that is his future which is fine i mean that's a good i would like to do that's a fine that's a good job it's a it's just they're not going to give you 165 million dollars to do it so anyway, but nobody knows what the number is. Nobody knows what the magic number is. Like everything is all screwed up by all the complexities that we've talked about a million times. So we'll see what happens. It's just, it's good that he's thinking it personally. I don't want him to do three movies. I would like for him to do part one and part two, and then hand it off to Alex uh, Garland or somebody else to continue so that he can go do other stuff. Mm. All right, Jason, other Dune news that you have. No, I have no other Dune news. Okay, so then we will announce that signups are going live tomorrow Yeah, for the Dune Pod IMAX opening night private screening in San Francisco. Biz, you're invited. Wow. October 21st. So we're really excited to, to open that up. We have, you know, a couple hundred seats that are currently available do you mean i'm invited to sign up or like i'm already invited <laughs> yes you're, yeah you're no you're invited for sure nice hosts are in anyone who's hosted that gets to come okay i just needed to check the fine print on that one yeah 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 so so the way it's going to work i mean this is again one of the largest imax theaters in the country um it's a going to be a fantastic event everyone must be vaccinated in order to attend and we are not going to be filling the theater to capacity we're going to be practicing good health protocols so the way to apply is to join the dune pod discord Mm -hmm. and then from there inside there is a link 
So you can fill out the application and then we're going to look and see what comes in. And depending on what the protocols are on time, we will let you know in advance if you are selected to join us. Tickets are limited. Yeah. The other part of this is that while the tickets are limited, but also free, we also are uh, raising money for Compass Family Services, uh, which benefits homeless families in San Francisco. Uh, and there will be a link uh, for that as well. Awesome. Yeah, please. We're, we're covering the cost of the movie. So if you have a chance, kick in some dollars and, and help out a really, really good organization. Sound good? Yeah. Already, Corey, I saw, has booked his tickets. He's booked his hotel. He's flying from Austin, Texas. Corey's our number one friend of the show um, and is flying in for that. So we're really stoked for that. It's going to be amazing. Corey also didn't have to apply. Corey gets to come because he's left us 54 voicemails. Oh, my God. On this podcast. So you have a number one friend of the show already? Yes. Oh, yeah. We have, we have, we have one fan. We have nice. a fan. <laughs> And his name is Corey. You have one fan, but he's an awesome fan. So, like, you don't really need any other fans. No, we only need Corey. We'll do the show as long as Corey listens. Everything else is gravy. Like, you know, like, thank you for being, but still, we're good. Yeah, exactly. Corey is the number one. All right. So, so yeah. So, check out the links, sign up for the Discord, and then uh, click on the link and register your request. Speaking of Discord, you know, we're live right now in Discord. We got folks chiming in, uh, which is really fun. We also had. Three new members this week, Rick Liebling, Alex Stamos, and Lobster Dog. Nice. What up, new people? How's it going? Welcome. Thank you for joining. We love you. Thank you for coming. Lobster Dog. What's up, Lobster Dog? <laughs> lobster, <laughs> lobster Dog. <laughs> All right, Biz, what is your history, if any, with Dune? Mm. Uh, well, my one of my best friends, Greg Gatanis, directed a TV miniseries called Children of Dune. Whoa. In like... Yeah. 2000 or something? When was that? Yeah, it was like 2000. Yeah, he uh, he directed that. Wow. You guys should have him on the show. Depending on, on how this show goes, I was going to introduce you to Greg, because Goldman knows him. Yeah. <laughs> if we do, okay. Goldman has met Greg before. He's come in, he went, he came into Twitter a few times and gave, like, talks on how he mm-hmm. makes shows and movies and stuff. He's wow. an Emmy-winning, like, director, producer, and he's done a bunch of TV shows, and then he, now he's doing the prequel to the Game of Thrones stuff. Oh, really? Yep. Holy shit. Yep. And uh, he's awesome. He's really good. And, and like, he, by the way, would be awesome to talk about 80s movies with him because he just, like, has the total inside scoop on, like, this was the budget and this is why it was like this. And here's how they did that. Maybe this guy didn't wow. do this and this is why they did this. So he'd be amazing. Plus, he has a very mellifluous voice. Terrific. Booming. I once went out to the mall with him and he, we were, like, ordering. He went to a chocolate store and asked for some chocolate and people, everyone was like, oh my God, <laughs> what do you use your voice for? I direct people. <laughs> That's amazing. Can you, can you call him? Can you call him on your phone or can we? That's great. We're going to have him for sure. As long as this goes well. But I also, I, mean, I read the book a million years ago. Okay. And I, I actually am a, one of the people that's a fan of the, of the Lynch film. I think it's cool. No, me too. And so interestingly enough, watching Eraserhead, um, which has a lot of like small deformed creature special effects made a lot more sense about uh, what was happening in Dune with the guild navigators and kind of all the gross stuff. Yeah, the, especially the, is it the Harkonnen Baron mm-hmm. guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. nasty, that guy. Nasty. Heart plug. Oh. He's got a real skin condition. <laughs> well, why don't we go ahead and, and get into this movie? You guys ready? Yeah, let's do it. Let's voyage home. Star Trek 4 is 
a journey to save humanity and find ourselves along the way. The bridge crew of the Starship Enterprise, now flying a captured Klingon bird of prey, are on their way back to Earth to face charges incurred during the rescue of their comrade, the newly alive but seemingly altered Captain Spock. However, an alien probe in search of communication with Earth's sentient whales threatens all life on the planet when it discovers no whales left to respond. The crew travels back through time to the San Francisco of 1986 to locate and rescue some whales, having misadventures along the way. Will they succeed in navigating antiquated 20th century customs, heal their family by restoring Spock, and rescuing these noble creatures from their doom, or will Earth itself be lost on the voyage home? Wow. Rated up. Wow. There are some bold predictions, bold predictions in chat on how the synopsis is going to end. And uh, it was even more glorious. Those are some existential questions just in the blurb. Just in the blurb. A lot to tackle, a lot to chew on. So, Biz, why don't you start us off? So we talked briefly about your history with Star Trek. Like, what was your first exposure to Star Trek? Like, what did it what did it mean for you? Well, I saw the original. I think I saw the original episode. You know, they played. We had three networks, so they were on. Mm -hmm. But I really got into Star Trek The Next Generation. Now, Mm -hmm. that was like Mm -hmm. hugely important for me. I made sure that I was every episode as it came on. Were you a Will Wheaton guy? Like, was that your your hook in? Like, you were young and. Well, no. I mean, I just, I thought Picard. I I was, I'm, I was always really into films and TV. And so Mm -hmm. I just thought Picard, like, this guy's a. This guy's an A class actor, cool sci fi show. Like, this is mm. a good combo. Like, they got the, they got a good guy, who, by the way, is also in Dune. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we are aware. <laughs> what? And he looks exactly the same age. Mm-hmm. He looks. It's if you look at Dune and then you look at Next Generation. I mean, he looks exactly the same. I guess it's not that far. Yeah. Yes. Two years. No, I mean, it just Star Trek: The Next Generation for me was like all the lessons, you know, that like leadership how to behave properly. Mm-hmm. For me, also, just the, the whole Roddenberry universe, it's not lost on me that there's cool spaceships and gadgets and stuff, but the fact that the setting is that humanity has gotten together. There's no more war, poverty, and famine. If instead, everyone collaborates and then goes out and looks for planets that have done the same to join their federation. I mean, I remember when of you were saying something like, it's just like on Star Trek. And I was like, no, it's not, because you skipped over all that other stuff. <laughs> just because your thing can talk back to you doesn't mean we got there yet. Right. There's other things that are required to, to achieve that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, that whole world, first of all, like, to start with is amazing. Mm. Anyway, so, like, I, I guess it was on when I was in high school. And so, formative years for me, but also, and that show was like, you know, there was a lot in that show on purpose. Roddenberry, mm. the newer movies don't have this. Roddenberry was mm-hmm. very keen to put social justice stuff into Star Trek so that it totally. was a cool show to watch. It had cool sci-fi stuff. It was well acted. It had good stories, but it also was meaningful lessons. Yeah. And how about you, Jason? I, I, I'm i pretty similar to Biz. Like, I Star Trek The Next Generation was, like, a really big show for me. I remember when there was the season cliffhanger where Picard becomes Locutus. I am Locutus of Borg. Resistance is futile. 
Your life, as it has been, is over. From this time forward, you will service us. Oh, yeah. Season three, best of both worlds, part one. Thank you. And we watched that at my friend Andrew Askovich's house, and we, like, when it, it like, ends on that cliffhanger, and Riker says, Mr. Wolf, fire. Like, we just, like, screamed out loud and, like, fell on the floor, like, because we couldn't believe, like, such a dramatic moment had happened in our lives. <laughs> like, it was a really big moment for me. And, like, yeah, I had all the technical manuals for both the, the original series and... Oh, I had that, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How the transporter worked. The Akuta, the Akuta drawings and all that, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. So I was... Yeah. I was way into it. Always been way into it. Yeah. Well, so I, and I was, um, you know, watching the original series, born in 70, so I watched it in syndication all the time and basically memorized all of the episodes and was a huge fan. And then Next Generation came out in 86, and so I was 16, and I immediately was like, this is lame, because I was so steeped in in Kirk and, and Spock. I just like, like Riker was l- this lame ripoff of Kirk, and like the <laughs> uniforms were really bad, and I just, I, I was not into it at all. So I completely turned off my attention to it. A couple of years later in college, I just remember hearing that Spock was going to be on. And I was like, what the hell? It's like Ambassador Spock. How is that even possible? And like, I watched that and I was like, holy shit, that's a big deal. And then I started watching it Eden season six and then consumed all, all of it all the way back and then just watched them over and over again. You know, got to go ask go ask Patrick Stewart what Picard is looking at, you know, when he's holding the flute and looking out into space. And, you know, what did that mean to him? You just, like, showed up at Patrick Stewart's house. You, like, just stalked In Oxford. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, do you... Just stalk Patrick Stewart. Do you guys remember hearing about the possibility... Am I making this up of a series based on, like, Starfleet Academy? Because I always thought that would be amazing. Like, you could have holographic you know, versions of Kirk and everyone's like oh, AI yeah. versions of Kirk and everybody teaching. Oh, that's good. And and yet you, but you could have like young, sexy Starfleet Academy. And then there would be like this special group that had to go on missions like that just, and it would be set in futuristic San Francisco. That would be amazing. I don't know why they never did that. I, I've got a pitch. I got a pitch for a Star Trek show. Oh, you want to hear my, my pitch biz? Yeah, let's hear it. My pitch is uh, Star Trek meets the West Wing. It's Star Trek Admiralty. Oh, yep. And it's about like... Or the Federation. Yeah, it's about like the administration. Yeah, all the BS with the Federation. Because mm-hmm. the, the new Picard series kind of alludes to that. Like, oh my right. God, all this stuff. You know what? Just skip it. Yeah, exactly. And and so I will say, I so I was there, you know, I, I was all the way through the end of Next Generation and then Deep Space Nine and then Voyager. And I just sort of like petered out on Voyager. I'm like, I'm not into this show. Didn't watch Enterprise at all watched the pilot of discovery and I was like, Nope, I'm not feeling this. And people love that show. So like now you've got all of discovery and you have the new captain mm-hmm. boldly go or whatever, this new Pike show, which people are super into. And then mm-hmm. Alex Kurtzman just signed like a four year contract. He is doing the Starfleet Academy. They're doing lower decks. They're- what they are doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are They are. <laughs> so there's a lot, there's a lot going on. I will say I watched four episodes of Picard and it felt like they had kind of jettisoned Roddenberry. It was like, it had all of this like Fox news stuff that was going on with like gotcha journalism coming after him. And, you know, we don't have time to help the refugees. Like we got to like 
pull back. Yeah, the future was darker in Picard. Yeah. The future definitely was darker. Yeah. So what's up with that? Like, It's more like the films. Like People want the dark stuff. Now. Yeah. They want a gritty reboot. Sci-fi mostly these days is all hellscape, the world's ending stuff. <laughs> it's like all why. overturned cars from the 90s right. and <laughs> dystopian futures. It's not... Roddenberry's, hey, we're all going to get together and we're going to figure out how to solve religion's problems and everything. So it's interesting. This, So this film, looking at Star Trek Four, this is 86, everything kind of spawned out of Star Trek Two, which was 1982. And we've been spending a lot of time in this kind of time zone, whether it was War Games or when we did Blade Runner last week. In two weeks, we're going to be doing... Two or two or three weeks, we're going to be doing Escape from New York, which was just before here, and then we're doing The Thing, which also came out in 1982. We spend a lot of time in this in this part of the decade. Nice, yeah. It's kind of the wheelhouse, yeah. And so I will say, Star Trek II, and you know the the finale of that, the cliffhanger there um, was just amazing to me as a 12 year old kid. Right. And then Star Trek Three did not feel good to me. Like I did not like that movie. I wasn't into it. I didn't like Kirk's son. Christopher Lloyd as as the Klingon captain. That's weird. I think there's a lot of people who haven't seen anything except for Star Trek Four, and they're like, oh, the one with the whales? Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. It's a much more accessible, like, sci-fi film because of all the, you know, wacky shenanigans that go on when they go back in time. Yeah, exactly. It's like a much, it's it's a very, like, it's the most mainstream yeah. track. You almost don't need to, but at the, and then at the same, at the same time, it's also the conclusion of this trilogy that starts with right. Khan. Like, it's, there's no explanation. This, they're like, well, they're yeah, like, there's they're not, and they Klingon don't actually ship. really fix Spock. I mean, he does that weird te- testing for like <laughs> right. one scene, but it's, he's just fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was kind of surprised at how little they, they sort of explain kind of what's going on but at, at the introduction. Well, let's, let's go ahead and get into it. We'll start walking through this film. I think there was a rewrite. I think somebody came in and then rewrote the middle. Right. It was actually, it's a, it was a partnership. It was Harv Bennett and Nicholas Meyer. And uh, Harv wrote the space portions. Yeah. And the other guy wrote the earth portions. So it was oh, one and four and two and three. And also Shatner didn't want to do it originally. So no, you can kind of tell that Shatner doesn't want to do it while, while it's being made. Like there's a lot of scenes where he's just like ton more money and he's like, all right, fine. I'll do it for a ton more money. And then I read that, um, that money actually took out of the budget for TNG. Mm. Oh, they had less budget for Star Trek, the next generation because of Shatner's paycheck. Interesting. God damn it. All that money went to the hairpiece. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So the uh, the head of Paramount specifically said, "We will greenlight you immediately as long as you have a movie that's based in San Francisco in 1986." Oh, and by the way, Eddie Murphy was supposed to be in that movie. What? To do what? What was he going to do? Eddie Murphy was supposed to be the lady, not not as a lady, but he was supposed to be the. Biologist who knew all about whales, and that would have been like this was not in the in the behind the scenes. That would have been would have been the best movie of all time. And then like (laughs) Eddie Murphy didn't love the script, and also is it Paramount? Paramount was like, yeah, we we don't really want like to mix Beverly Hills Cop with Star Trek. (laughs) Like we think that's weird. But can you imagine? Oh my God, a movie where. It's Eddie Murphy as and Spock. Catherine or whatever that la- whatever the lady's name was. 
No, not a spot. Yeah. Oh my god! But as the love interest, Jillian. Yeah, <laughs> Eddie Murphy is the love interest. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, it would have ended up being Eddie Murphy weird sci-fi movie, but still. Yeah. Well, so so just to start, like right out of the gate on this film, it opens up with a Challenger dedication, which was was very poignant, right? Yeah, that's amazing. When I just looked at it last week, I totally forgot about that. And I was like, oh, my God, I remember that when I was in grade school and we were watching that on TV and music class. And I was like, oh, is it supposed to do that? Like, we didn't know. (laughs) I I, so so I literally I was at lunch in Daytona Beach and I was at the gas station and I was pumping gas into my car and I looked up because we used to watch him take off all the time. Mm -hmm. And I saw the smoke go that way and i was like that's that's not right that's not supposed to do that yeah i was in the east coast and they pulled the tv in they're like all right kids this is historic you gotta watch it that was a huge moment that was very very powerful yeah so Uh, it's cool that they did that obviously yeah and they said that uh when they they screened the film before it opened because it was just a couple of months after that and they had the introduction that they put in there and they did it at the smithsonian and they had a bunch of dignitaries there and they said standing ovation people crying like just totally lost it yeah very very powerful So, how about the probe? How about the sound on the probe? Oh, by the way, I read the sound on the probe, by the way, is just Nimoy going whoop, 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 whoop. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that, like, I also didn't realize when I re-looked at it that that even Nimoy had directed it. And yeah, Nemo directed. Like, oh it. shoot, he directed the whole thing too. Like so he did maybe that's why Shatter didn't want to do it because he was like, "What does Nemo get all this action? Friggin' Nemo, amazing." He's so cool. I will say, like, but the behind the scenes stuff, like Nemo seems like a chiller. Like he just seems like a really, really cool guy. His whole his whole photography thing though is kind of weird. <laughs> say more. The cinematography. No, his still photography collection books uh, and his art form there. Oh, yeah. I I haven't seen it. He takes <laughs> he, it's black and white photos of very large women. You know, I mean, he also he also wrote poetry. Yeah, and sang. <laughs> We've covered that on the pod yeah. before. Well, yeah, uh, I guess he was like a '60s guy. Yeah, for sure. So I was like, oh shit! It was Nimoy that directed that. Okay, that makes sense. Well, and so obviously from, he's big on the whales thing. Did you guys know that it was also yeah. it was it was hugely popular in Russia? Why? At the time, anti-whaling was a big thing in Russia. Oh. Hmm. And so they let it in and um it was really popular in Russia. Interesting. There's some Cold War stuff definitely underpinning some of the some of the script here. Yeah, there is. There's some like Cold War, there's some Cold War references. I was also when I re-looked at it, I was like, wow. Like they filmed the TV in the where I am, but the footage of the whales being cut open and everything was gruesome. Like if they had gone full screen with that, that would have been really nasty. Yeah, that was pretty gross. Dude, my kid was sitting in the room during that, had like walked in while I was watching the film. And that scene goes on for like three minutes. Yeah. And it is graphic. It is extremely graphic. And they're like cutting open the belly of the whale stuff's falling out and they're slicing and dicing and she's like um whales are really smart sensitive creatures and it's like <laughs> grossly cutting through <laughs> that was rough and also the whole way they did it where they were when they released the whales like instantly there were whalers that found them and were like right. had a harpoon yeah. ready to go yeah it's a dangerous world out there biz like it's the whalers will find you oh another thing is 
We're just, we're just, I'm jumping all over the place here, but yeah, here, let me, let me, let me walk us, let me, let me walk us through here for just a second and, okay. and, and jump in as we get there. Otherwise I'm going to spend longer than I normally Done. spend editing these films, which is already many, many hours. That happens uh, with me. Yeah. So we'll, but, but definitely I jump, jump in as we, as we get there. Cause we're going to, we're going to cruise through this. So what about just the, the Saratoga? I, I mentioned, obviously it made an impact on me. You spend so much time on the enterprise through any given series. So I always was thought it was really cool when you would see other ships and other captains. This was the first ever female captain on screen in Star Trek, which was pretty cool. Oh, interesting. But I also, I obviously love the Afrosian helmsman, uh, Chirith Rodre. Good pronunciation. Yeah, nice, nice work there. Who knows if it's right? I mean, I just thought it was funny that the whole thing was like, okay, oh my God, there's this probe and it's doing this weird noise and everything it comes in contact with is like all, you know, typical Star Trek, like, there's no circuit breaker, so everything's just exploding in people's faces. Right. And and the ships become useless and then get to this giant space station, that's useless. And then Earth's like, Oh my god, don't come near Earth. It, like everything's everything's we're doomed. Like this thing, we're doomed. And then and then Kirk flies in with a Klingon ship, like, hey, can you play that back? Fuck, yeah. what, what's the deal with that? <laughs> sounds like whales. Yeah, it sounds like whales. What would it sound like underwater, Uhura? Whales. <laughs> All right, whales. You know what we gotta do? Find some whales. Where's Wells? Oh, Wells, no Wells. What if we went back in time? Good plan. Go back in time. We'll go back in time. We'll get the Wells. We'll save the Earth. Good. And then meanwhile, like everyone else was completely like flummoxed and there's no way to say we're all going to die. Yeah. Yeah. It's, all they had was like the one guy coming into the control room with the giant suction cup to try to keep like the glass yeah, yeah. in place. Oh my God. They had, like, <laughs> Not good. The guy, they had a guy with a squeegee was their butt. Billions of other people, totally useless. No one has ideas. Box like, could that be Wells? I like how Kirk doesn't miss a beat. He's like, begin calculations for time warp. Yeah, boom. So it's like, we're going, we're going. And they're like, I, are you sure it's going to work? And he's like, no, but you got a better idea? Say it now. Well, the good thing is like in that scene, like Bones like basically explains the plot of the movie. He's like, you mean <laughs> we're going to go back in time and try to find two whales, yeah. return them to the future so that they could talk to this probe. No, he's questioning Spock. Like, Spock, should we do plot of movie? Yeah. And like, but but the, by virtue of him saying it that way, he's like pointing out that the plot of the movie is in fact insane. Yeah. It yeah. Like, it, it's great. And then all they have to do is just go really fast around the sun. But they do. Well, so hold on for a second, because they there is a really nice element here that at the end of Star Trek Two, when Spock died, he did the remember mind meld on Bones. He put his soul into Bones. Oh, and right. then in the third one, Bones was That's carrying right. That's him. That's true. And he was being affected by him. So in the fourth one, after he's put him back in, and he know he says, "I no longer have your contra or whatever it is inside my head." And so there are all these cool moments. It, it this one at the beginning and at the end of the movie where you have Bones and Spock, and they have a new level of connection. That's true. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, but you know, but most of the comedy throughout the entire life is Star Trek was like, oh, the two of them for sure. Bones and him not getting along. Yeah, totally. and the thing. And in real life, I guess Shatner and Nimoy did not get along, and yet their their on screen chemistry is great. Amazing. Well, like no one likes Shatner. Right? Yeah, like, I Shatner guess so. Yeah, just, yeah. Like no one. Like he also didn't get along with Jimmy Doohan, and like yeah, he's a huge fan because he like because he took all the money. Like, he took like all said. the money, <laughs> all the money, and all the credit, right? But also, I mean, he was incredible, right? Like let's let's not lose perspective here. I mean. He is fine. And I also read that the, the scene in the truck where the lady says, like, do you guys like Italian? The whole thing was improv. You guys like Italian? 
No. Yes. No. no. Yes. No. Yes. I love Italian. And so do you. Yes. 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 No. no. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yes. You do. Oh, that yeah. seems I also amazing. Like how, how when they decided to go back in time, they were like, oh, my God, Spock, you're an alien. Like, uh, people at this time, they're going to freak out. What are we going to do? Like, we got to come up with a plan. And he just rips part of his robe off and wears it as a headband like a karate guy. doesn't think that he doesn't think that maybe he should take off his bathrobe he's <laughs> just like fine like just like i'm just gonna no just wear a headband right it's it's not like jason like he was wearing terrell's bathrobe it's not as good of a bathrobe but maybe more functional it is very puffy i like in the scene where they go back in time the effect of like the melting heads and like the 2001 and the whale, all of that weird shit that happens. They like the heads. What they did was is they went to some graphic effects studio that made foam casts of heads. I don't remember this part. And they like use that to do this weird. Yeah, it's this weird effect. It's all white and gray. And they're as they're sort of going after they've accelerated. I don't remember melting heads. Yeah, they morph into one another like Ooh. Spock's head morphs into Kirk's head and Scotty's head. Maybe I fast forwarded the, that part. That Scotty's didn't happen head. the second time around. The second time around was like, we're a little tired, no. but we're fine. Yeah, yeah. No, they didn't do yeah. that. No. Scotty's head morphs into Uhura's head, so he just grows like a big ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's really goofy. But apparently Ralph McQuarrie was like the conceptual artist who like helped define what this like going back in time was going to look like. Yeah. Of course, a famous conceptual artist worked on Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. It worked really and well. They, decide, they did some calculations and they, and they zoomed around the sun. They, they got up, to exactly where they needed to where get. they needed to be. And they decide to land in Golden Gate Park. Well, so yeah, so they're so they're landing in Golden Gate Park. I love first of all before you get there. Um, Sulu says San Francisco. I was born there. San Francisco. San Francisco. <laughs> I was born there. I was born there. <laughs> So that was awesome. But then I also noted, do San Francisco garbage men also have New York accents? Oh. Anyway, I said to her, if you think I'm going to spend $60 for a damn toaster oven, you're out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I says to the guy, I says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, that's just garbage men in general. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, so then we get to, you know, the streets of San Francisco. Obviously, the most iconic moment of the film. Hey, watch, watch where you're going, you dumbass. Double dumbass on you. you. <laughs> the part that sells it on this, when he says double dumbass on you, as he's walking away, Kirk, like, looks at the other crew members to see, like, did he do something right or did he screw <laughs> it up? Like, it's a great little beat uh, as he's doing that. I love it. It's good, and it's good how the, throughout the rest of the movie, Spock is still, like, the damn radar is working. Yeah. <laughs> the hell you do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But they land. Yeah, they land and there's an impression in the earth. like <laughs> Right. Where the footing is. Boom. Footing six is. inches down. It weighs that much. That's what 86, you know, there wasn't there wasn't quite as close looking in uh, in Gold Gate. But you know what? The, the whale. So I just keep wanting to say this thing about the whales. Please. So there were like rubber animatronic whales, but they the guy who built right. them did a really good job. Unlike... When, when Steven Spielberg wanted a big rubber animatronic shark and it sucked so bad that he had to bail on that and do the shark POV, which turned out to be like epically amazing and scarier. This guy apparently nailed it so well that people were um, protesting that the movie had done bad things to whales. Yeah. Like, you can't get that close to a whale. You can't put them in that kind of confinement. You, you guys are doing terrible things to whales. And it was 
they weren't real whales. People have always been dumb. Do you know the, <laughs> the you know who did the whales? I don't remember the guy's name. As uh, industrial in, industrial light and magic did the whales. I am. Oh yeah. Oh, I thought it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, but they do animatronic stuff too. They did for this. Cool. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they had done. Yeah, they had done like stuff for you know they had done like Jabba the Hutt. Spock jumped in there and swam with them, and uh, and then I the, the thing I love this line too when he communicated with them and then later was telling the woman uh, Gracie is pregnant and she said mm. nobody knows that and he said Gracie does, <laughs> which is cool. It's like well done. That's great. The whole thing yeah. is kind of like you guys. There's other things besides humans. There's other life forms. Yeah, I mean, this was part of a moment of what was happening, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have 86, you have Sting doing Dream of the Blue Turtles and, you know, do the Russians love their children too and environmental awareness and all, you know, this whole kind of- Save the whales. Burgeoning. Yeah. Jason, speak on it. Like what, what the-, the, the Preach. You, you were talking about the failure of boomer liberalism. Like, yeah. Well, so I think, I think it's, it's interesting. Like the, I was thinking about that in the context of the punk rock scene on the bus, because mm-hmm. that was apparently inspired by Leonard Nimoy yeah. running into a punk in real life and like getting pissed off at him in real life. Yeah. And so like they have this scene where like they stage a punk on the bus and he's playing this fake song. Uh, I hate you, which has like you know amazing lyrics. Like uh, it's like, cause I hate you and I berate you. Yeah. It's like, and one of the lyrics is, I assure you, and I say screw you, oh my God. and I hope you're blue too. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. So it was a made up song. He cranks it up. It was a made up song by one of the yeah. But you know, one of the things I was thinking about was like this sort of like. Uh, like the boomer liberalism, which in a lot of ways comes down to aesthetics over like actual policy stuff. Mm. And like some of that becomes like, not that there's anything wrong, like we should save the whales, but it becomes like saving the whales itself being like the ultimate, like sort of like saving these two whales, not even all the whales, but saving these two whales becoming like the ultimate policy goal. Whereas like six years earlier in San in California, like prop 13 had passed in 1979. (laughs) And like, this is what would have made it impossible for Marin to ever become the home of Starfleet Academy because like, the it makes it impossible for there to be any upzoning or development of California <laughs> real estate. Ever? And so, like, like yeah. you know, like it's completely un, it's completely unbelievable that like California or that Marin would have Starfleet Academy because like <laughs> y'all, all both you guys live in Marin. All the all your NIMBY neighbors would never permit like a giant like Starfleet campus no to exist. And so, like, and so, like that's like sort of that's like the failure there is that it becomes like this like token we Fig save leaf. these two whales and we don't really have solved these problems for you know like people who need houses <laughs> or like you know but it wasn't san francisco that saved the whales that's true it was it was it was future people mm. Mm. a powerful indictment of a generation well well done jason <laughs> thank you the other thing where they're trying to when they're on the streets of san francisco is the another improv scene is when uhuru and Chekhov are trying to find yeah the wessels the nuke the nuclear the nuclear nuclear wessels. Wessels. Uh, and so they were just out there on the street like doing shtick and like the lady who says like oh i don't know i think they're an alamita is like that yes that's what i said alamita uh, <laughs> that that was all that was all improv and that lady was just so she was not an extra yeah she just walked up no she did it because her car got impounded and she asked to be an extra so she could make the money to get her car back 
because what? oh wow, they, I the didn't know movie that. set impounded her car. So she's like, "Well, shit. How about I just be an extra?" And then she wasn't supposed to even say anything, but they, but Nimoy just said she had never acted. So Nimoy said, "Just act natural." And so she's great. She said whatever she said, and and then he thought it was like really good, so he left it in the film. There you go. That's a good scene. So, so the film basically has three plots going, right? So you have Kirk and Spock uh, with Jillian trying to figure out the whales. You have Bones and Scotty trying to get the transparent aluminum, which we'll get to in just a second. And then you right. have Uhura and Chekhov. I will say, I think the Uhura, Chekhov, the entire plot of them <laughs> is just awful. Yeah. Like it is by far the worst part of the movie. No, it's bad. It's like Keystone Cops kind of thing. Yeah. And also like Chekhov somehow gets like this... I mean, in any other scene, in any other movie or any other Star Trek, just falling down a little bit, would you just get back up? But this is like, oh, my God, Chekhov's dead, and we have to use super technology to bring him back to life, and we have to have a whole caper in the hospital and everything. Well, Nimoy very specifically said that he really loved the fact that no one is harmed through a specific intentional action. Mm. So, like, Chekhov falls. He doesn't get shot. Right. There is no big bad. It is literally just, he said, the big bad is 20th century humanity destroying its own future. Right. Which I think is kind of a cool idea. That is cool. Yeah. So, so those guys, yeah, they, they, they're off to try and get the dilithium. Like, uh, Scotty is dissing the Klingon dilithium. It's not as good as the, uh, <laughs> as the U S dilithium. There's a lot of kind of slander against the Klingons. Oh, like, yeah. uh, Bo- bones is like, it smells bad. They don't like the food. I don't know. No. Yeah. It smells rancid. Well, Klingons do have weird food though. Yeah. The, well, they, it shouldn't be rancid cause they eat living things. Right. Mm. Good point. They, it's usually like r- wiggling around when they eat it. So I don't see why we should. Well, unless the, the things they eat have BO. Like <laughs> the, um, but yeah, no, there's a lot of like the ship sucks. Like they're, yeah. it's primitive and, but it's pretty good at as cloaking though. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. And it's pretty convenient for this plot. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so the other, uh, the B plot is Scotty and Bones. So they head off and they meet with uh, Dr. Nichols, played by Alex Henteloff, who was on Night Court. Oh, wow. Oh. The, the actor there. I thought he was great. I felt like I'd seen him in more stuff. It just, this performance made a, a big impression on me. But um, like, walk us through the scene. This scene's great. Yeah, they go there and uh, it's like PlexiCorp or something, right? <laughs> in San Francisco, He's got a big button on that says, I quit smoking. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. yeah. He's got this big button that says, I quit smoking. <laughs> and uh, he's, uh, he shows him to like a Mac ca- Classic, right? Or a Mac Plus. Yeah. Some, some like the one I had. <laughs> right. And I heard that it was supposed to be a Commodore Amiga or was it? And, but they had, they wanted nothing to do with Star Trek. So they wouldn't send him one. Mm-hmm. How dumb. So they had the Mac. Oh my God. I, I forget exactly what happens, but Scotty gets on there because they're like. Computer. Do that or something like that. He's like, we need one inch thick, whatever. Yeah. Can't do that. And he's like, well, let me just have a shot at it. And he goes over to the Mac and he just looks, he just sort of goes near it and says, hello, computer. <laughs> and nothing happens. The guy looks at him and then is it McCoy? McCoy hands him the mouse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. And so he puts it up to his face and he's like, ah, hello, computer. And then <laughs> the guy says, you got to use the keyboard. And then he cracks his knuckles really well. And he's like, ah, a keyboard, how quaint. And then he just <laughs> goes crazy with the two fingers. <laughs> Boom, like nuts with his two fingers. And like all these chemical composition things are flying by. 
And then the guy's like, oh, my God. Like, what is oh, Is this? No. Is this transparent aluminum? And Scotty's like, or he's, he's something uh-huh. like, can you help us, laddie, or shall I just punch up clear? <laughs> and uh, the guy freaks out. He's like, oh, my God. By the way, I, transparent aluminum was invented like 12 years later at Oxford. Yeah. Yeah, at Oxford. It's a thing. It's, yeah. it's a real thing. Really? They, it's a real thing now. Yeah, they have invented transparent aluminum. Hello, computer. So, Goldman, remember uh, House, where's my wooden spoon? Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was how, that's where Eddie Murphy would have been in this. In this yeah. Dude, we invented that whole thing. We invented that. We invented Siri, basically, in 2000. We invented Siri, the Alexa. We invented the Alexa. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Um, that's a whole other podcast. When did, okay. The, here's my question about transparent aluminum. He says the reason they have to go there is like, it would it would be six inch thick polymer, which they have in stock. He's like, yeah, we can do it. Six inch polymer, no problem. We've got it. And he says, well, what if we need it to be one inch thick? And he's like, well, it can't be done. You need this. All right, that's why they need transparent aluminum. First of all, question one: Why couldn't be six inch thick polymer? Like, why did too heavy? Why couldn't they just? It was it was six inch. Oh, he was impressing him. He was like, look, I'll give you this if you give us the you six inch. You give me your six inch. Yeah, exactly. We make a little horse trade here. Oh, I see. I see. I see. That's what happened. I see. Okay. All right. My next question, though, is why does it need to be transparent at all? Like, why didn't they just contain the wheel, the whales in like steel? I was thinking the same thing when I was watching the movie. And I was thinking like how much this would suck if it wasn't transparent because we couldn't see the whales or anything. It would just be this big, gray, horrible <laughs> thing. Like, this would be the worst. It's just aluminum ever. foil. Well, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that was just for the performance characteristics of the aluminum of the transparent aluminum, Jason. But it was the horse trade thing, and then we got the benefit of being able to see the whales. My third question about the tank is, it doesn't appear to me that they left enough space at the top for the whales to actually, you know, be able to get up and breathe. Mm. Hence the, you know, like, the protests about the mistreatment of the whales. <laughs> right. Right. They, they thought they put the whales in a, in a tank with no, with no top. Get their asses, Jason. They suffocated <laughs> They suffocated these animatronic whales. I do like the notion that that they tackle head on the question of the prime directive and are they changing the past? And I like the notion that, you know, for me in the many worlds kind of universal, multi-universal theory. How do we know the guy didn't invent the thing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In this particular universe, there always was them coming in at this time and providing the information that caused that to happen. And maybe that's back in the same universe or not. It doesn't really, it doesn't matter per se, but uh, I think that's kind of a cool. But that was such an easy excuse that they could have used in any other episode. Like, yeah. Wait, we can't, we're giving them transparent aluminum. Yeah, but how do we know the guy does, doesn't invent this anyway? I mean, they could have said that for any other thing in any other episode ever. Well, and, and they, they also invoke the bootstrap paradox for, like, the reading glasses gift. He's like, yeah, like, I'm giving, I'm putting these gifts, this, these glasses back in the past, but Bones will still just find them in the future, no problem. Right. So we cut back there to the A story of Kirk's date. What's up with the ordering? Like, she asks if you trust me, and then she orders a large pizza, and he's like, I, tr- I trust you. And a Michelob. And a Michelob. And he's like, make that two. So they're going to eat two large pizzas? <laughs> He's hungry. Is it? He's, he's, I thought it was too. He's never Michelobes. seen a beer before. Oh, 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 oh! I see. Oh. I see. I see. It is true because the, when the waiter comes out and says, "Who gets the bad news?" He only has one one pizza. He doesn't bring out two pizzas. Let me guess. You don't okay. have money in the future. Well, we don't. We don't. We don't. <laughs> well, we don't. 
I, like I don't it. think this. I don't think this date goes particularly well. Like, I don't really know if he's charming her, which is only relevant because like she's willing to throw her entire life away at like the just the drop of a hat like 20 minutes later which is like i'll leave everything i've got nothing the whales are gone take me with you to the future he's like there's this is a one-way ticket you can never go back he's like i don't care take me with you whoever you are first of all like when he beams in and i also read that this is the only time he ever said scotty beam me up yeah, mm. yeah i read that too um and then uh she just jumps on him. I don't. I don't think that works. I don't know if you can do that. Like she, it, with the transporter was set no, to I beam up him, and then she just. Ju- no. I think that's. I think that's been done. You just jump on someone, and he's like, "You tricked me." As if there's no chance to just put her back in the field. Yeah, just like beam oh, her back down. oh well, you're on the ship now. I guess we have to keep you here. Mm, right. He could have been like, "No, dude, you gotta leave, and we're gonna beam you back out." <laughs> He's like, oh my god, you tricked me! I guess we're gonna we're gonna fly in the future with you now. Well, they needed her help to rescue Chekhov, so this is like a real this is that Keystone Cops kind of capery type situation with them running through the hallways and cops falling around and you know doctors being nonplussed at their behavior. Yeah. Like it's it's really silly and it's very much not a Star Trek movie. It is kind of, and the music, even the music was like. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like a Benny Hill thing. Yeah. I like Bones. I like Bones and all. Oh, yeah, like he's, he's great. on, like, modern medicine. He's like, good God, man. God. I'm in the Middle Ages. Dialysis. It's the Middle Ages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he gives her a pill, and then she shows up. It's like, a doctor gave me a pill, and I got my kidney back. Yeah. <laughs> I got my kidney back. The doctor gave me a pill, and I got my kidney yeah. back. <laughs> Pretty good. She's great. That lady's a star. They get out of there. They get back onto the bird of prey, the HMS Bounty, as they have nicknamed it. Um, And you have, this is the second part with Bones and Spock, where Spock is trying to figure out how to do the calculations, and Bones tells him to take his best shot. And I do like that that moment of the two of them together. Yeah, and he's like, you mean guest doctor? Mm. Like, yeah. Yeah, Bones has given him, like, a real look in that scene. He's given him, like, a real, like... (laughs) Yeah, it's right. You're right. He does. He gives him a lingering... Come on, a lingering, knowing, like, kind of mm. almost like, you know, like a sexy look. Like, kind of like a, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it was a, like a weirdly kind of sexy look. Like, I'm a charming you know, southern doc. Wow. You know what I want. You know what I want you to do. <laughs> I want you you to were inside I my head. You, I want you to guess. I want you to guess. <laughs> I feel dirty now. No, it's right. um, but that's what happened, though. That, I saw the same thing when I watched it. Yeah. Okay. I missed it. I missed it. You guys are more in tune. Uh, so we do have the bird of prey coming in right as the whaling vessel is firing its harpoon. Good time. I love that shot of the harpoon bouncing off, and I love the guys freaking out, like turning the wheel as hard as they can. It takes them forever to turn that boat around. <laughs> <It's> not- <laughs> <laughs> and also, they're speaking Finnish. Mm, yeah, really? I, I was, I was wondering because it sounded Scandinavian of some sort. So, like, but where? Oh, because they flew the whales somewhere. Okay. Right. Right. It, no, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be, but they said we're going to the Bering Strait. So I assumed it was like near Alaska. Yeah, um, me too. It makes no. It, ma- it makes no sense. <laughs> the humpback whales did not go to Finland. That's for sure. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, but the dudes were finished, and they had like a rusty old harpoon, and it clangs against the yeah, uh, Klingon right. ship, and they're like, "What the what?" And then they decloak, and they're like, "Oh my god, let's take twenty <laughs> minutes to turn this mother around." <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> so they take off. They get back through time. It's much easier, seemingly, the second time. Much easier the second time because you really just, like, got a plus two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, so... Plus two whales. But then they're coming down, and they're blind as a bat. They can't see where they're going, and they crash land the ship. Yeah, they crash. And, but it's such an easy crash. They're like... They just crash the thing right in. Oh, my God. It's like... Keep the nose up. Keep the nose up, and it just kind of is, like, throwing, like, a pool toy into the pool. Right. It really anticipates Sully Sullenberger. It does. Crash yeah. of, the, of the plane of the Hudson. They glid it right in there. Their, their, their prowess with gliding came in handy. <laughs> sure, but then... But then very specifically, Jim swims. Like, that's my big note for this portion of the film. Yeah. Oh, and then it's like goofy at the end. Like, let's push in Spock. Well, no, but even even before that, like, he's actually swimming underwater through, like, a big, a big underwater set. Yeah. Uh, Jason, was it the same people who designed the explosive hatch release from the Nostromo? Like, it's like, open the thing, do the thing, pull it. It's really hard. Yeah. Like, that should be easier. Cinematichatches.com. Whenever they do those underwater things, and I always try to count the times they cut to see like how long the actor actually had, really did had to had to hold their breath. Mm. He did pretty good, I think. I think uh, you know Shatner was was pretty serious on it. He's got a big set of ribs, so he's got big lungs under there. Mm. Yeah, I like that they paid him all this money, and then they're like, "You're gonna have to swim, though. You're gonna have to swim. We're gonna pay you all this fucking money." <laughs> then they they shoot the scene of the whole cast basically hanging on the side of the bird of prey for a long time goofing goofing and it's well it's and before it's but it's like raining right it's like storming and what i I listened to a bit of the director's commentary Mm. and like apparently it was like the water in the pool was heated yeah but there was like a giant fan blowing like storm rainwater in and that water was cold and they were just doing this for hours and so everyone ended up like all got sick hypothermic yeah exactly (laughs) yeah i love it I love it. They suffered. They suffered for their art. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, for their art. And it is it is pretty goofy. I would say when James Doohan, quote, jumps into the water, like he doesn't get any vertical. <laughs> like it's just. Cannibal. <laughs> yeah. You know what's the funny? The thing about about Scotty in all the, or even the early episodes too, when so he's a Scotsman and he's always asking, like when whenever he visits a planet where they have some kind of weird other booze mm-hmm. he always asks does it make a good mix with scotch like who would mix nothing, some nasty green thing with scotch, scotch. that's yeah. you don't mix stuff with scotch. that's nasty water yeah water is the only thing that mixes with scotch and so what kind of scotsman is like oh, does it make a good mix with scotch this is kind of a standout movie overall for scotty i would say big time yeah like you've got hello computer shall i just punch up clear and captain There'd be whales here, like which is <laughs> oh, Captain. There'd be whales here. That was good. Mm. Maybe the best Scotty line in the entire franchise. Yeah, and and he really saved the day. I mean, if he couldn't have built that tank, what would have happened? Yeah, yeah. He was. They show him in there welding that tank together, and it was apparently yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they have the, the final kind of like charges against the, the bridge crew. They're united. Everything gets dismissed except for the one charge against Kirk. He gets busted down to captain. Knocks back down to captain, but he's like, cool with that. Yeah. yeah. They're like, you're going to get a ship, but it's probably going to be some crappy ship. Right. So why is Sulu? Sulu. Who didn't he have? Didn't Sulu have his own command in Star Trek three? Right. Didn't he have the Excelsior? I think so. He definitely gets his own command at some point. I forget the chronology. 
But yeah, basically almost everyone had been made captain at this point because Spock is a captain. I don't know what happened with Sulu. I like I like that the Nimoy said that this court martial scene was supposed to be like the homecoming scene and the Odyssey. Mm. Like it's like the hero's it's like the hero's journey when the hero comes home at the end. Right. Like he's like this is like James Campbell. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I'm like all right, deep. I don't, I don't I don't know if it is, but he wanted it to be, but he wanted it to be. Yeah. I just thought it was weird that Sulu was there. And I will say back to best of both worlds. Part one. I mean, the most powerful part of that is not Lacutus. The most powerful part is Riker. The whole time is trying to decide whether he's going to leave. He's being offered his own command. The, like the new replacement is there so that he can transition out mm. and he decides not to like that is that is badass. Maybe that's what went on here. Like everyone's just like, you know what? Screw it. We'll just go back to being the A team again. Mm. Oh, that rem- and it reminds me too of the very beginning of the film where he l- literally is just naming off each character one by one mm. next mm-hmm. to the ship. Bones. Scott, yeah, Scotty. but it's because they oh, like, yeah. okay, so we all unanimously vote that we're going to go save Spock or whatever, or not, or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's a good way for him to just like say every character's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think they were just like, let's just go back to being the old team again, I guess. Yeah, it was a good reset. This is the end of the trilogy. They were done. Yeah. I like that the lady that he brings to the future. Jillian. Comes up to him and is, and, and she's just like, her name's not super important. And what, and she's just like... <laughs> I'm going to go uh, off with this science vessel now. Like, I I don't really want to yeah. see you ever again. <laughs> the, the, the date wasn't that yeah, good. Yeah, we had one and date, and now I'm in, like... You stuck me with the bill. I'm in the future, and... And... Like, and peace. I got a good like, gig. He's like, when, but I don't even have your number. She's like, that's right. We're going to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, he says, but as they say, I don't have your number. And then she says something like, I'll find you or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she gives him that kiss on the cheek, which I, I actually like that moment. I think the chemistry is good there. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. Apparently she was she was flown up to his horse ranch to spend the day to see if they had chemistry. That's how that worked out. Oh. All right. Great. I read that she knew nothing about Star Trek and Nimoy liked that. Yeah. And that also people were keen to point out Chatner did not insist on being like a love interest on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the story. It was really the story. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be Eddie Murphy. <laughs> the love interest. So so now we have the ent- the introduction of the Enterprise 1701-A. The A. Um, so this is the second the second Enterprise? Yeah, it turns out they get the en- they're psyched because they're like, the camera shows like, oh, could that be the, the shitty one? Oh my God, look behind it. It's a good one. <laughs> so... Has there ever been a better starship design than the Enterprise? Name five. The Millennium Falcon no. is pretty good. It's great. It's a pretty good ship. It's great. Well, it was uh, great because it was like awesome, but it was also junky. That was so cool about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could punch things and they would work. Yeah. That one's pretty good. I love it. I don't think it's better than the Enterprise, but I, I, I love, obviously, love the Falcon. But I think that it's so iconic with the nacelles and the body and the, and the disc. Yeah, and the fact that, I mean, you know, the saucer can detach. Not, not this one, later, but yeah. Oh, really? That one can't detach? D. No, the, the, just, yeah, just the Star Trek Next Generation one. But, you know, this made, famous starships made me think about the Serenity. Uh, and mm. uh, it made me think about, because in a lot of this movie, like Chekhov and Sulu 
are in this kind of Western wear. Yeah. Like wearing like all leather, leather kind of cowboyish <laughs> outfits. Yeah, you're right. And I was like, did this anticipate the <laughs> cowboy space Western of Firefly? Is this what like Joss Whedon stole from? No. Uh, noted, no. Noted criminal Joss no. Whedon? No. Joss Whedon stole from Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> he stole everything from Cowboy Bebop. Mm. Noted criminal. When will you answer for your crimes? <sighs> I'm trying to think of a better starship. Can't do it. I mean, can't, can't be done. It's a pretty good starship. The, I mean, the the you know the highliner in the new Dune film looks very cool, but it's not as cool as this. No. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to who would Tilda Swinton play? Oh yes, Biz. You have to, you have to recast <laughs> any role in this film with Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Any character. Any character. But like, it would mess the even if it would like completely mess things up. Like Tilda any, Swinton any, could anyone. be Spock. Yeah, that was my first thought. But, you know, obviously everyone would be like, what the shit's going on? <laughs> That's a strong one, though. I like it. But, yeah, I mean, she'd be amazing. Mm. Jason. Um, Tulu. <laughs> Did the Swinton play one of the whales? Could she <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, she could do maybe it. Maybe she could be the whale. She could be the whale probe. Like she could just be instead of Nimoy doing the sound effect. Yeah, yeah. she could be doing the woo. Mm. woo. I'm gonna go with Tilda as the punk on the bus. Oh, that's good. She could also be uh, like Spock's mom. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's good. That's I love. I love the fact that they actually had that actress who played Spock's mom on the show. To me, that was very cool. And come in and explain, like you know, how do you? It's because it's, it's how, how do you, you feel? feel? How, how do you feel? feel? And he's like. I do not understand the question. Mm. How, How do you, do you feel? feel? Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. I like that if Tilda Swinton played the whale probe, though, maybe they would have come up with a different design that wasn't just like a log with one testicle. Right. Like, <laughs> like it's just like this five mile long log with one with a little brainy ball. ball. <laughs> just hanging off of it. <laughs> not the best design. And it's like wet and weird looking and slimy. Yeah gelatinous and then when and then when it's done the ball gets sucked back up into the into the <laughs> we gotta go back into, into cold space and bring that shrink that baby back up there the uh also i heard that the the paramount executives wanted to put in subtitles from the giant probe saying where are you where are you oh yeah 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 like yeah. way to ruin the whole thing yeah yeah oh they're looking for somebody that was a shitty shitty note Art clarifies in Discord that Sulu is promoted to captain and given the command of the USS Excelsior three years before the events of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So his he was not yet he was not yet captain. So during this. Maybe, but maybe this movie helped him get that captainhood. He did some good stuff. I have a vague memory, right? Like they sabotage the in Star Trek Three, they sabotage the Excelsior. And I remember Sulu, in the scene where they come at the end, Sulu says, I'm hoping for the Excelsior. And Scott is like, not that bucket of bolts. Oh, right. So he has his eyes on it. Uh, you know, he wanted it. He got it. And of course, in Star Trek VI, Kim Cattrall tells us the origins of the word sabotage. Sabo. They would throw their shoes into the machinery called sabo. <laughs> Hence the phrase sabotage. <laughs> Thanks, Kim Cattrall, which is basically, so she's essentially playing Savik. We had a different Savik. She's not actually playing Savik, but it was a Savik-like character. And then we had previously had Kirstie Alley as Savik. And then we had a different actress for this one, Robin Curtis, who played Savik in uh, three and four. 
That was weird. Savic too. Yeah. That's a little weird. That's fine. All right. Let's get down to some uh, voicemails and letters. So the first one is from Rick Liebling, newly joined Discord member this week. And he says, great job on DunePod miscellaneous thoughts. H and Jason. Hey guys, I discovered DunePod a couple of weeks ago and have been devouring episodes. You're filling the void left by binge mode. Mm. Bells for binge mode. Bells for binge mode. Really been enjoying the show. High praise. You're a fan of that, right? Love, love binge mode. Binge mode is the the gold standard for sure. Mm. Uh, you want to shout out his new pod? Uh, Jason Concepcion's new pod. Yeah. He's got Take Line on Crooked Media. I don't know. He's got he's got another new pod coming soon. X Ray Vision yeah. is a, another new pod coming soon. Yeah, which is another geek pod. A lot going on. Can you get him on the pod, please? Uh, <laughs> Jesus, Biz, can you Biz? Can you call? Jason yeah, I'll Concepcion? get him on. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, great. All right, one. Some things uh, Rick has to get off his chest. One, your experience at the trailer showing reminded me of an experience I had around a special showing of the Spielberg flick AI. Mm. The screening in New York City was an exclusive for those of us who'd been playing the groundbreaking ARG, The Beast. It was, it was groundbreaking. What is that? What's The Beast? I don't remember the specifics of that game, but this, there was like an alternative reality game that was put out at the, to market. What is an ARG? Like it's like a game where there are clues both on the internet and then they go send you to places uh, in real life and you find more clues. It's like a scavenger hunt, but like, you know, spread across real space and cyberspace. Did either of you guys ever do the Jejun Institute? Do what? The Jejun Institute, which was like the thing around Soma it was like Mm-mm. Oh yeah. It was like a scavenger. Yeah, I remember that too. There were the weird flyers and stuff that were out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the. Th- I remember that too. There's, I mean, there's been a lot of this stuff. I mean, like, and then like Lost sort of became a TV show that was an ARG. So, mm. all right. He says we were also hyped for the movie, and they handed out posters that ended up having Morse code embedded as a further clue for the game. It was amazing. That's great. Cool. That sounds dope. Two. You've talked a lot about the sound, cinematography, etc., but I haven't heard a lot of talk about the design of the film. I wrote an essay a couple of years back on the aesthetics of science fiction post-cyberpunk. It dives into the reemergence of brutalism as a design cue, and I think it might be relevant for Dune. I'd love to hear more about what Dune looks like and how it fits into the sci-fi genre's trends in recent years. I would say definitely Nolan has been at the forefront of the brutalist kind of renaissance, and for sure Denny is in that same vibe, correct? I mean, I don't know what brutalist. Are we talking about in the context of soundtrack? Is that is that what we're talking about? No, uh, production design. Production design. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like you look at the you look at the stuff that particularly in Arrival, the Harvester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. There's definitely, and you saw that we saw. You know, when we talked about Villeneuve's film Polytechnique, he specifically filmed at this like very mm. brutalist. Uh, university in Montreal that's not the university where the actual real world shooting happens so he's clearly drawn to that type of architecture just himself Uh, and I think you see that both in like the way the alien spaceship looks in Arrival and the way that like the interiors and some of the stuff we've seen in Dune Uh, so yeah that definitely seems to be part of his his jam Mm. for sure Mm. number three 
Another thing I'd love to hear is a deep dive on actor David Dostmalkian. Yes. Dude was in Dark Knight, Blade Runner 2049, Prisoners, etc. Can't wait to see him as Piter DeVries. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Rick. So, Rick, we've already done 2049 and Prisoners, and we talked a lot about uh, Dostmalkian in both of those. Dark Knight is sitting out there, and we'll probably get there before too long. He's also in the Suicide Squad. Uh this this year as well so poke it up man poke it up man by the way did you hear that michael keaton's doing another batman really he is in the flashpoint movie which is a multiversal oh. uh film and so he is going to be portraying batman in that film oh i thought it was going to be like a whole like old batman stay tuned this this multiversing stuff is starting to feel like a, just a cheat to me like it's just basically means you can do whatever you want did you watch the spider-man trailer I watched the Spider-Man trailer. I watched it. Did you watch it, Biz? Are you excited about the new Sp- the new Spider-Man movie? Oh, I didn't watch the preview yet, but I'm excited to watch the preview. <laughs> Would you like a preview for the preview? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to, uh, we have two voicemails. The first voicemail is... Doompod, Corey, Austin, Texas. Uh, voicemail one of two. <laughs> I didn't want to get cut off, and I'm going to be talking a bunch of crap about Star Trek. First, how... <laughs> Fucking excited am I that I'm going to San Francisco to watch yeah. Dune. Hell yeah. You guys and our closest friends. Yeah. And the Dune Pod Discord and Dune Pod listeners and Dune Pod guest hosts and family and friends and what the F. Maybe, who knows? Maybe celebrities will be there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Timothy. Who knows? Maybe he'll be there. Maybe mm. Tilda. Tilda will be there. I don't know. Mm. This is going to be so exciting. Anything could fucking happen, and anything <laughs> will happen. I can't wait. My request off time, time off request for work is approved. The flight is booked. Amazing. The hotel is booked. I'm fucking stoked. All right. <laughs> On to my second voicemail. <laughs> okay. Good. Good start. Good start. Good start. Corey has offered to host the after party, the official after party. Um, oh, amazing. Like MC it. Hotel. Yeah, we'll be trashing it because we don't do that in Marin. Like, that's not allowed in uh, in Marin County. All right, let's see. Second voicemail from Corey. Okay, part two, Star Trek. Part four, The Voyage Home. Uh, I don't know. I haven't revisited this. I haven't rewatched it. I'm going to admit it. Uh, I want to, though, because I've been watching a couple of clips. Uh, I hated this movie as a kid. It was not spacey, and it, they, they looked terrible. A bunch of old fucking Star Trek Fuck. Except for DeForest Kelly, who's always cool. Uh, but everyone else, like, your weird girdles and wigs and not just Shatner. Like, it is a mess. Um, and, like I said, it's not very spacey. And the whales thing seems all kind of, nah, I don't know, to a, you know, teenager. So, anyway, uh, I'll be revisiting it just to check it out and see how everything uh, really shakes out for me now that I'm a lot older. But uh, I was always into the original series, of course. Rathacon, of course, is my favorite because, mm. you know, I'm a Gen Xer. Mm. And then um, the cartoon from the 70s was a big favorite. They all did the voices for that. And there was a couple of weird-ass aliens in it, too, that were part of the crew that I don't really remember too much about. Again, I haven't revisited that in a long time. Um, and then, of course, uh, I was a big uh, Next Generation fan. Uh, I even took a <laughs> informal philosophy of star trek class mm. uh, in the 90s how about that uh and then 
Um, I also, Jason, went on the Star Trek Experience ride in Vegas back in the 90s, which what? was pretty. Yes. That was a ride? Awesome. I mean, getting beamed up to the Enterprise was probably one of the coolest things that I've really ever experienced. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, I'm going to have to revisit uh, Star Trek and I'll, the part four, and I'll leave some, some thoughts in the Discord. Um, and I'm really hoping we get some solid uh, coverage on the bus punk rock scene. All right. Bye. Nice. How did you beam up? What did that? How did that work? Yeah, I think part wasn't that like a mirror I mean, thing that may have been broken. Oh, was it broken? No, I don't remember. But I remember. Do you remember? We they we did get to play with the phasers at some point. I remember that. Like there was like there was like a there was some room where there was phasers and there was like a bridge. It's a next generation bridge, right? As no no no, it's a biz and as biz alluded to. We were very kind of thrown off by like the live action role playing elements yeah. of the Star Trek experience, and we didn't want like the Klingons talking to us or like people acting yeah. at us. And so like we just we <laughs> just went and, like we, we didn't. Well, we were very hungover. We were hungover, but we were also like didn't know what we just like Star Trek, but this was like too much. <laughs> right, right. Too much we thought we could Trek. just like look at Star Trek stuff. We didn't know the Star Trek stuff was gonna be in our face talking to us. It was gonna be touching yeah. us. <laughs> and like we were like, are they like paid to be here? Do they have to be here? <laughs> are they gonna like yeah, exactly? Is this should we we should leave before things get really weird? This was like day three of a bachelor yeah. party. So at that point, like our biggest anxiety was like, is someone gonna approach us and like ask for money for an awkward social encounter? Because we weren't we had never really done the whole thing before, so we were like, but we were like, it could be a thing. We like, let's just yeah. hurry up and eat our sprites or drink our sprites and leave before something really weird with Star Trek and ruin Star Trek for us. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Cut the tape. Uh, Cut the tape. Uh, Biz, what are you excited about? What uh, anything you have to plug? <laughs> I have to plug. Yeah. What am I excited about? Well, I'm just, I'm excited about the new Apple Foundation series. Oh yeah, speak on it next month. I don't know. I don't know anything about it other than like it's an Isaac Asimov thing, and Apple's got a lot of money, and so it's probably going to be good. Mm. Have you watched Biz? Have you watched the Apple Show C with Jason Momoa? Only one episode. Is it that? Is it that good? Should I stick with it? Yeah, you should watch it. Okay. The second season starts uh, day after tomorrow. All right. So. All right. I didn't give it enough time to, for it to give take. it a little bit more. Okay. It, it's a little. It's a little dark. I don't know if it's exactly your thing, but yeah. Well, but I like stuff. Yeah. Try it. Nice. And uh, no, I, I don't have anything to plug. But like, um, that's okay. You can you can be excited about applying to go see Dune. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about applying. You know, during the pandemic, I found out that you can rent a movie theater for 150 bucks for like yeah. you and 10 friends. Like it doesn't yeah. seem mm. possible, but it's like it's 100 bucks for 10 or 15 friends. It's cheaper than. Do you know what you cannot do? You cannot rent the IMAX theater at 7 p.m. on the premiere of Dude for 100 bucks. You can't you can't do it for that. <laughs> And that's it for this episode of Dune Pod. I want to thank Jason and Biz for a great conversation. Next week, we take a trip down a dangerous road with David Lynch's dark masterpiece, Mulholland Drive. 
If you're enjoying the show, check out our Discord server where you can sign up now to join us at the Dune Pod IMAX private screening of Dune on opening night in San Francisco. A link is in the show notes. You can find our full movie set list on Letterboxd. And if you want to support them by upgrading to pro or patron status, use promo code DUNEPOD at checkout to save 20%. DUNEPOD is a tape deck podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. The episode was produced and edited by me, H, with a little help from Steph from Edit Audio this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week.